Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. I would have clapped for that if I had two hands. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for leading us in worship. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, we haven't been here for a few weeks now, and it's great just to be in the room together and worshiping with you and, like, pleading to the Lord with you through those songs. You doing okay? Yeah. All right. And uh, so it's great to be here. Um, I'm, uh, if you're new, I'm Jeff. I'm normally um, teaching. Uh, I'm not going to be the next few weeks because of this, but after a few weeks, this will all be fine. It's going to be fine. Uh, and um, the only real announcement I have is on January 29th, so three Sundays from now, we, we typically have like a business meeting in the fall, and then in the winter we've got another like family meeting and another one in the spring, three times we gather. We usually do those on Sunday nights. We decided this year to do something different and to do it, oh, the kids are dismissed. Kids, you can go to your classes. Um, we decided to just do it right after church um, so that you wouldn't have to go home and come back. We decided to do a chili cook-off, which I don't think we've done before. And we were, we are, uh, we got little spoons that say Oak City Church chili cook-off, first place, second place, and third place. And we're serious about this. We're going to have judges. And the only thing I would say about that, that might discourage you is my sling's going to be off by then and I'm going to win. So you are fighting for second and third place. Just know that going into it, okay? Because I make a mean chili. Right, Johnny? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, but that day, um, we're going to, we'll, we'll eat lunch together. Uh, we'll spend some time sharing some good things that the Lord has done. We'll really talk about 2023 as a church. The next three weeks, we're finishing up the series we've been in in the fall. And we finished 2022 really, really well. That December was great. The movie night was great. The kids, uh, the students had their, um, their Christmas party, had about 30 kids here, which was awesome. Um, they are meeting again tonight. And if, you're, if you have middle or high school students, I'd strongly encourage you to have them there um, for the beginning of the year. But also, I'm going to talk about baptism on the 29th as a part of service. We're going to do a baptism. And so if you as an adult or have not been baptized and want to get baptized, please let me know. We can talk through that. Um, and, then, and then we're, again, on the, in, in the, in the 29th. Oh, 22, 22, sorry. We also finished, um, we mentioned a bit about the finances. We had a really good December, and we finished, we finished the year off um, really well. So we finished off really well, and on, on January 29th, we're going to spend some time talking about 2023 and what's in store for Oak City Church. And so... We'd love for you to just block that off on your calendar, make some chili. There's probably got to be some cornbread if there's chili, and, uh, and, and then plan on staying after um, for an hour or two uh, after service on the 29th. All right? All right. All right. And this morning, uh, John Fouché is going to be preaching um, the... In, um, in this series that we've been in um, for, I don't know, the better part of four months now on God's presence. So John Fouché, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Jeff. 
We'll see you on your chili. Uh, I'm from Texas. That's all I got to say. Uh, speaking of that, I went to the University of Texas. And one of my uh, most haunting moments in, at the University of Texas, I'll never forget the feeling of what it was like. I watched my buddy Todd uh, taken into the interrogation room by the police, and I was handcuffed to a chair. And I'll never forget one of the key feelings of the University of Texas was feeling powerless and alone. Um, I was a freshman. I was not afraid to live life on my own terms. And uh, I had two friends that walked in my dorm room, Todd and Matt, and they had just mail-ordered a water balloon launcher. And y'all know what this is, right? It's the, uh, it's the enormous slingshot that two people hold, one side, another person holds the other side, the other person pulls, puts a water balloon in there, pulls it back eight or nine feet, and launches it. And they said, um, we just found out that we can launch a water balloon 200 yards. And then they said, but we just found out through trial and error that we can launch an egg 300 yards. And so the ideas kind of went off, and uh, we started getting some really wicked plans. So we uh, went to the store, bought 10 dozen eggs, went uh, beside Martin Luther King Boulevard in Austin, Texas, which is very similar to Hillsborough, borders the uh, university. And we found this perfectly concealed place, and we launched 120 eggs at cars going 40 to 50 miles an hour down MLK. But these were only 50 yards away. So uh, these eggs would have tra traveled somewhere between 70 and 90 miles an hour, and we would have just launched it. And we're behind these trees and kind of in this dark spot, and so these cars would come, they'd swerve, they'd slam on their brakes. A couple drivers got out, was looking for us, yelling and screaming. They could never find us. We loved it. So at the end of this time, we grabbed our empty egg cartons and our empty beer bottles because, you know, you can't litter. And we walked across the street and uh, started walking through the parking lot of this big dorm. There's these cars with the eggs. And I kid you not, my first thought was like, look at our artwork. You know, and there's a dozen cars there. And then there was a crowd. And in the middle of the crowd were two cops who looked up and saw us <laughs> with empty cares and beer bottles. And they, I remember one of them just did this, and then, and of course, we're like, okay. So we went straight to them, and we were arrested and brought up to the police station. My friend Todd, when he got out of the interrogation room, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I was thinking, well, what's going to happen? What are they going to do to me? And then all of a sudden it hit me, what are my parents going to think, you know? And, uh, and I went in there, and I just, like, whined cried. I gave him my fake ID. I was just like throwing everything out in front of him. And I, we were so pathetic at the end. They said, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put you guys on disciplinary probation, uh, but we're not going to charge you with anything. And so for the next several weeks, I remember that feeling of feeling powerless and alone. 
And it actually was a really key moment for me because at that moment, I started to wonder why in the world I was so bent on living for myself. And I had a gentleman in my life named Bill who kept on asking me questions about God. And it was really the beginning of the Holy Spirit beginning to call me uh, to live beyond myself. It was a beautiful, uh, ended up being a beautiful moment and a great story. Uh, my boys are not in the room, so it's the perfect time to share it. Like, don't give them any ideas, right? Um, so, you know, a lot of times that's what your sin does. It uh, makes you feel powerless and alone. You know, everybody, no matter where, everybody would say that's wrong, <laughs> you know, doing that. Um, and yet, at the same time, here in this case, literally my sin uh, chained me to a chair, and I'll never forget that feeling of that. Um, at the same time, there's nothing better than being unchained and set free. And that's what the Spirit does to us with His work. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to John 14. We're going to cover verses 15 through 17 and verses 26 as well, your apps. Uh, stand, if you would, as I read this. Basically, uh, at the end of this, if you're new here, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And if you would respond, thanks be to God. Jesus says, literally hours before he is uh, arrested and the day before he's tried and crucified, he says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you may be seated. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, we're going to talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit is our is His gift to us. Okay. And second of all, we're going to talk about using the gift, all right? So the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, is God's presence to us. Let's talk about the gift of God's presence, okay? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is this third member of the Trinity uh, who comes and fills us with his presence and accomplishes the will of Christ in our life, all right? He's one of the divine persons of the Trinity, church history, uh, would remind us and our doctrine would state, but yet he is of the same essence or substance as the other two. He's God. Uh, scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is actually alive and active in every single act of God, all the way from creation to our own conversion or recreation, ultimately to what's going to happen with the new humanity and new heavens and earth. Every act of God involves the Holy Spirit. Uh, for you and I, the Holy Spirit is to bring God's presence to us and, as I said, accomplish God's will in us. Now, the two words, are the two main words in the Old Testament language, Hebrew, and in the New, Te New Testament language, Greek, are really cool, okay? I want, you, I want you to learn this. So, in Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach, okay? So, say ruach. 
Now try it again. Yeah, clear in your throat at the end. Ruach. Okay, that means wind or breath. So you think about how many of the songs we just sang that talked about the breath of God. Uh, this is re- evidence of the Spirit. And it makes sense uh, because that's a vital sign, right? When someone is breathing, they're alive. And the Old, Old Testament people, the Hebrews, uh, would look at the person, see them breathing, and they'd see evidence of vitality of life, okay? Now, in Greek, the word is pneuma. Say so pneuma. It's in, translated with the P-N, pneuma, and uh, that's where we get our word like pneumatic tires. It has air or wind in them, okay? So basically, uh, God's spirit in a person is evidence that God is alive and active and bringing vitality to the person of their soul. You'll start noticing, as soon as I say that, how many songs, how many references are there to wind or breath in the scriptures or uh, through the things that we do or reflect on in Christianity. And that's the key. You can understand a little bit more about it. Now, Jesus tells us about the Spirit in John 14, and he tells us that we have another advocate. The implication here is that he's our first advocate, but when he leaves, he's going to send the Spirit who is another advocate, okay? And this word is paraclete. Say paraclete. Okay, now para means come beside or alongside, and cleat means, it comes from the verb in Greek to call, which is kaleo, okay? So he's the one that comes beside us and calls us, okay? Uh, that's what paraclete means. The first translation of the Greek New Testament was in Latin. It's called the Vulgate, and it used the word advocare. Ad means besides, and vocare is where we get vocal, uh, or to call, the same, same word. So in English, advocate means a person that walks beside a powerless person and pleads on their behalf to those in power, right? That's what an advocate is. And so we can translate this word helper or helping presence or comforter, but I like the word advocate the most. So Jesus tells his disciples that they are getting another advocate, someone to plead their case, especially when they're powerless, to the powers that be, to God, to spiritual forces, that he would represent them. And one of the first things that you'll see the Holy Spirit do in your life is did what he did in my incident in Texas, is to convict of sin and to call you to God himself through the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that you would have a saving knowledge of Christ. Okay, so first... Uh, he's an advocate. Let me also say, Jesus says specifically to his disciples, this advocate will dwell in you and will be in you. So in other words, the Holy Spirit indwells believers at the point of conversion. When you respond to the Spirit's gospel call, and what that means is you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, what happens at that moment is you are indwelt with the Spirit. You're given the gift of God's presence. Now this, if you come from a charismatic background, uh, this is also called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's referred to elsewhere. Some people would say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when someone speaks in tongues, but that's not really the best, I think, uh, understanding of this. We're talking about the indwelling of the Spirit that happens at conversion, okay? Now, here's the bottom line. 
if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, you are given a gift, gift of God's presence. And the purpose of this gift, Jesus also tells us in that last verse we read a minute ago in John 14, is that the Spirit teaches you about Jesus, brings to remembrance things about Jesus. And this happens, and this did happen back in his day. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, Forty days later after his crucifix, crucifixion or resurrection, they're at Pentecost, and the Spirit comes on his disciples in Acts chapter 2, and they remember all the things of Jesus, and they connect the dots. And Peter gets up and presents the gospel to the people at the time. And then later they write it down, okay? And this is why we would say that the Bible is given to us by human authors, but it is God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? So there are many more issues or uh, things that are brought up in scriptures that the advocate or the Holy Spirit brings to us. And I want to give that to you in just real quick a list. And I'm going to give you some verses to go with it so that if you want to later on, watch it online and go back through these scriptures. You could also ask for my notes and study on your own. It's a fantastic study, okay? So in other scriptures, uh, as the disciples first experienced it, when you're reading your Bible and it testifies to your spirit, like it just resonates in you, uh, that is the Spirit's experience as you're reading your Bible. The Holy Spirit also leads you with wisdom, helping you with the difficult uh, times in life, John 16, 13. And by the way, those, those specific times where the Holy Spirit might speak to you, it's always in line with the Spirit, the Bible, uh, um, and you can know that because the Spirit wouldn't speak against Himself. The Spirit assures you that you're saved. It means you're an adopted child of God. You're in the family of God, loved uh, family of God and deeply loved by God, Romans 8, 6. He is also your eternal seal, meaning that you're God's, Ephesians 1, 13. And the Holy Spirit gives you strength to empower you in the difficult seasons of life, Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. The Holy Spirit is your comforter who gives you the peace of Christ, right back here in John 14, 27. The Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. These are specific abilities that when you Give them, you are energized, and you love to serve people in this way. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. The Holy Spirit supernaturally provides miracles and visions and dreams to help you see the works of God in our days and age, which is really what the whole book of Acts is about. And again, when these things happen, they're in line with the Bible. The Holy Spirit grows you. He sanctifies you, helping you become more and more like Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. This growth uh, gives off the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. You might know it. Can anybody repeat it? Excellent. That's Galatians 5, 22 uh, and 23. Love, joy, peace. I have to read it, Becky. You're on it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's one fruit that comes out of you. Uh, that is evidence that God is working in you. The Holy Spirit helps you with prayer and worship. He actually also takes your feeble prayers when they're kind of weak and makes them really saying, it's like he says to God, this is what I'm really trying to say. <laughs> and that's Romans 8, 26 through 27. The Holy Spirit commissions you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ uh, by telling other people about the gift of God's presence too. 
right? Acts 1.8. And one day, the Holy Spirit will raise you from the dead, like Jesus. Romans 8.11. Every act of God is empowered by the Spirit. Here's the question. Have you, first question, have you received the gift? I mean, just think about all that comes with this gift. Have you received it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave? Okay. Some of you are saying no. Many of you are saying yes. That's the first question I want you to answer. Have you received the gift? Second question, if you have received the gift, this question's for you. Are you using it every day? Let's talk about using the gift every day. If you're a believer, uh, you could be a bad gift user. You ever known a bad gift user? Uh, there are gift givers, good gift givers. My brother's that. There's good gift receivers. My brother's also that because he's like, I love it. It's great. But he's a bad gift user. He has this quirky thing of when he opens a present, he will literally open it up. Hey, it's great. You know, all right. You know, and gets it and keeps it in the box and goes to his closet and puts it on a shelf. It's the craziest thing in the world. I remember 20 years ago when I was at Brookstone. Y'all remember that store, Brookstone? And it had this cup that fit in your car cup holder. And it was a coin sorter. You put your coins in the top, and it would sort it with the quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies. And, uh, and he went through, at the time, the toll booths all the time, uh, and he really needed quarters that were easily grabbed. That was before our toll booths were automated like they are now. And so uh, I gave it, I wrapped it up for him Christmas. I gave it to him Christmas. He opened it up. He's like, hey, I love it. What is it? And I said, it's great. You get your coins, you put them in the top, it sorts your coins. And so when you get to the toll booth, all you got to do is pull out a couple quarters and throw them in the basket and you're off on your way. He's like, this would be great. <laughs> Nine months later, I was at his house. I walked through his closet. I saw sweaters from old girlfriends sitting in the box with the wrapping paper open. Beautiful sweaters. Uh, ties, all kinds of things. And, of course, guess what I saw in there? The coin sorter. So I said, okay, I know just what to do. So I took it. I wrapped it up for him again. And I gave it to him at Christmas. And I kid you not. When he opened it, he said, hey, I love it. What is it? I said, it's the same present I gave you last year. <laughs> Many of us, when it comes to the gift of the Spirit, are bad gift users. It's like we just put the presence of God and our thoughts about him up on the shelf and we move on with our life. Why is that? Obviously, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're just living our lives, which is really code for saying we believe that self-sufficiency could give us more promise than God dependency. Uh, some of us uh, are, you know, 
are really looking at um, the times that we, we need the Spirit and the Spirit's readily available for us, but we haven't taken advantage of it. So let's talk about using the gift. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Let me read this verse to you. And do not get drunk with the wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in, excuse me, in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So notice the contrast it starts out with, being drunk with being filled in the Spirit. This is not about don't drink. This is about a contrast to show, just like you would have a depressant of drunkenness that impairs your mind, impairs your body, get, leads to poor judgment, the Spirit does the opposite. The Spirit is a stimulant, right? Leading us to your right mind and participating in the life-giving uh, nature of God. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is the ongoing process of yielding or submitting to the Holy Spirit's power. It is opening yourself up to God, right? Now, I want you to notice on this word filling with the Spirit, there's a couple things that is said about this in the language that it's important to pick up. First of all, he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative. In other words, when you get the Spirit in your everyday life and you just think, I'm not going to be filled with it. And of course, they don't, you don't mentally think that, but you put them up on the shelf. That is actually disobeying the Scripture. It's an imperative. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. But when you, uh, also, it's in the passive voice. In other words, it's not active voice, like you don't fill yourself up with God, like you might pump yourself up for the race with the Rocky tunes, right? You open yourself, you yield yourself to the Spirit, and the Spirit's job is to fill you. It is receiving this gift. So for clarity, let me just say this all over again. A believer is given the gift of the permanent Holy Spirit, the permanent Holy Spirit dwelling within them from the moment of conversion, but yielding or being filled with the Spirit control is something you must do daily. It's both. And many a times, like I mentioned, we don't use this gift because we just are self-sufficient. Other times, it's that we have sin in our lives. Scripture calls this grieving of the Holy Spirit when we are continuing on in sin. And when you're intentionally resisting to God, it's called quenching of the Spirit, right? Now, there are other reasons why you and I may not readily open ourselves up to God, like trauma or being burned by other believers, all kinds of people that um, might be de deconstructing their faith. When I really push them in the last years, they're really deconstructing the way other people have treated them more than God themselves. But then they start forecasting that betrayal upon God himself, and then they cut themselves off from the very one that would heal and help them move forward. And that bitterness can get in the way. There's all kinds of reasons why we don't use the gift. But let me use uh, an illustration here to bring it all uh, into clarity. Let's say this is the gift of the Spirit in your soul. It's a carafe, 
And let's say when you are converted, you are given this gift, and your whole now has a way of receiving uh, the things of God, okay? And let's say, for example, that this little black ball represents sin, okay? And so uh, a lot of times when you move on with your life and, uh, and you're a Christian, you have sin in your life, and it's difficult to pull out on your own. You know, it's kind of tough to, to get there. But what we often do on top of it, when we're resistant to the sp- Spirit, are not open, we're not, uh, we can't be filled with the Spirit, we are actually putting a lid on uh, what's going on. Often this is some form of pride. So when the Spirit comes along and He tries to fill us, uh, we're not really resistant. We're not yielding. But on the other hand, what happens is when we open ourselves up to God and are filled with the Spirit, what you actually find is the sin that is often buried so deep naturally is going to come up for to be addressed and taken away, right? And beyond that, the Spirit then starts to pour the love of Christ into us, and it overflows from us to others. That's kind of the idea. It's both a gift and something you have to open yourself up to and receive every day. Now, uh, if you've got a lot of pride in your life, you've got to realize you're actually resisting yourself. You're actually resisting the Spirit himself. You're, you're denying the vitality and the life to yourself at the time. If you have unforgiveness towards somebody or in the middle of trauma or difficulty, it can be very understanding why you're not really opening yourself up to God. But you got to realize that's the very thing you need for healing to be able to move on. When you're faced with many life-tough decisions, you need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to let you know. And a lot of it comes with every day, what's your attitude? Is your attitude to really rely on God, to open yourself up to God, to trust in God, to expect that the Spirit is there, to have faith that this is true, and uh, rely on the Holy Spirit, or are you going to just move on with your day? In Ephesians, I love the implications, the outcomes that are coming from this verse. It says, people that are filled with the Spirit make melody in their heart to the Lord. That they give thanks always for everything to God the Father. It's a big statement. And no matter how bad your circumstances, you're always filled up with the Advocate. Your attitude is one of thanksgiving, Ephesians says, and you love others sacrificially, submitting out of reverence, submitting to them out of reverence for Christ. So my two questions is, have you received the gift? And two, are you using the gift? Um, listen, God gave his spirit to you to use every day. God gave his spirit to you for you to use every day. It doesn't mean all your problems will go away. At Texas, what happened was, is I did start meeting with a counselor who became an advocate, who saw me, started to change, and started to grow, and he went to the school and uh, lobbied for me to stay in school. And they said, okay, they took me off disciplinary probation. My parents never found out awesome. I told them that 10 years later. They're like, what? It was so much fun. It, w- it didn't mean everything panned out perfectly, though, because 
I had a 1.5 GPA at Texas. I had gone from partying and not studying to telling everybody about Jesus and not studying. And Thanksgiving in my sophomore year, I realized, dang, I got a 1.5 on a 4.0 scale. And there was some rule, I remember, there was some rule after 45 hours, they expect more of you. And it was like, you need to have a 1.75. And then, of course, after 60 hours, you need to have a 2.0 and maintain that. They thought they were being nice. I thought they were being really stringent because I was taking nine hours. I had to drop a class. I was taking nine hours and had two Ds and an F. And it was at Thanksgiving. And, uh, and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, like, I've got to bump up my GPA or, like, I don't know what will happen. So I'm telling you what, I opened the books and I studied harder for my exams. Two full days. <laughs> and I did my best and I went home over Christmas. And about January 1st, they mailed me this letter. And in this letter, basically they asked me to leave for something I did not do. Study. I was baffled. Uh, actually, my reaction was quite different this time than it was the first time of getting caught. I got the letter, and I went out the back door and uh, started going down the hall alley, and I just, um, I just said, I know I'm responsible for this. Uh, Lord, I'm not powerless and alone, even in the midst of this huge mistake. And I started to run and I started to dance in the back alleyway because I was filled with the Spirit. It's remarkable what happened in the next couple of years of my life. I went to a community college and uh, found out small classes were better for me. 4.0, I made it. I went that summer to uh, flown up randomly by some school that I didn't end up going to that paid for my flight. And I said, hey, if I could walk over at King College uh, in Bristol, Tennessee, which is 30 minutes away, and just walk on campus, you know, I'll pay for half the flight. They're like, sure. So they picked me up. I walked on campus, and I knew at that moment that the presence of God was saying, this is where you need to be, and you're going to study the Bible here. And so I did, and I uh, had a really good experience. The following year, I was a senior. Um, I left Dallas all discouraged about a girl. My dad said, don't worry, son. There's a whole new freshman class coming in. <laughs> and two days later, there was my wife, a freshman, totally innocent, had no idea what to do. We met each other, and within two weeks, we knew we were going to get married. The Spirit began to reconstruct the life that He wanted in us. And so that doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. But what it does mean is that he will lead you, he will guide you, he will remind you of Christ's uh, love for you, he will remind you uh, that, that you have a mission, that you are called to tell others of this free gift, he will give you everything you need to do it. So my one encouragement today is that God gave you the gift of his presence. You need to use it every day. God gave you a gift of his presence. You need to use it every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much just...
for the simplicity of um, what Christ describes here. It is often tough to always get our minds around it. But yet, Father, we come in your presence because it is something you've given to us. We come not just hoping but expecting that the Spirit would lead and to grow and change and guide us in our journeys. But Father, help us open up our hearts to you and receive the filling of the Spirit. Help us have the confidence that you have that you will work, that you will redeem, and that the Redeemer lives in us. I pray this in Jesus' name.